0: And this morning we want to cover the the subject, genuine friendship, genuine friendship. In our series in Genesis, we are spending time getting to know Father Abraham a little bit more. And we are children of, of Abraham and so it's important for us to learn a little bit more about our spiritual forebear. He's at his ups and downs. That gives us hope. In fact, more than that, he's actually described as a friend of God in Scripture a few times. Now, how would you like that title? Sounds good, doesn't it? In a survey, In a survey of a large congregation in the US, the question was asked, what do you fear the most? And the answer is, both revealing and surprising. The primary answer from the pew was, let's just say a little bit startling. What is it that they feared? Intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. Why do you think many Christians feel this way about their relationship with God? Okay, let's look at it another way. Let me ask you, what would happen if God came to Liverpool? What if He invited Himself to your house? Let's just say yours, a chaos or something. How, how much lead time would you need to get ready? A year? <laughs> That's a bit of a worry, George. <laughs> You'd, clean, you'd want to clean and paint and, and do the yard but you know that's the superficial stuff I suppose but also what would Jesus think if, you, if he went on your computer and, check, and, and checked your browsing history and no you can't delete your browsing history from Jesus would you be embarrassed for the Lord to see all the stuff that you're spending your money on Did you really need that 50th pair of shoes? As you think about all these things, would you still let him in? No, you can't go in there. Well, you can't really say no to the Lord for a visit. He's God. Okay, so you have let him in for a visit and then he doesn't want to leave, he stays. He, he simply won't leave. In fact, he says, "You know, where are you going, I'm going to work and he says, I'm going with you and he watches everything you do. Would you view it as a, as a blessing or as a curse as he goes shopping with you? You don't need that you definitely need that you see as Christians we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus with God but but many of us don't want it to get too personal too intense it's one thing to invite the Lord in for you know an occasional meal But having the Lord move in as a permanent resident and observer of all that goes on would just freak us out too much. We couldn't be ourselves in his constant presence as if we could actually hide anything from him. I'll throw some words that we might use. I need my space. He needs to respect my boundary. I need my uh, privacy. These are all current words, aren't they? Everywhere, you hear them. So, but And Jesus was, well, do you want to change? And, and when you're with me, you can change for the better. But this is what it's going to take. Do you want to change? Yes, Lord, I want to change. But not too suddenly and not too much. Just a little bit, just right. Not too heavy, not too light. You know, a bit like your cereals. Because everywhere that Jesus went and he touched people's lives, people changed. People changed. Friendship with God sounds wonderful at first, doesn't it? Until you stop to think about the implications. Do you want that kind of friendship with God? In the passage before us, there is very strong support to believe that it was, it was the actual Lord Jesus himself who appeared in human form 2,000 years before he was born to Mary. And he appeared here with another couple of angels. And these three heavenly visitors ate a meal which angels don't normally do, but this this ability. And and then the Lord revealed to Abraham and Sarah that the promise was confirming to them, the promise concerning a son, that it will be fulfilled the following year. Verse 1, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby, and when he saw them, he hurried from the angels of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. it was siesta times I would have loved to have seen these great trees of memory I'm not a greenie but I love trees I love trees it just would have, they would have been if they're described in the Bible as the great trees I mean they're not this small little you know puny little bush thing it's a great tree and there he was. He put his tent there. In the heat of the day, it was hot. He's maybe even thinking as he's sitting there at the entrance of his tent about all the promises that he just heard in chapter 17. You know that Sarah and this promise of God, he's meditating on these words of God. Somebody wrote about the Bedouin Middle Eastern hospitality and how Arabs tend to dine at the entrance to their tent in, and, and keep a lookout in order to invite passers-by. This is what his life is like in the, in the deserts and stuff. So suddenly he, he looks up and there are three men standing before him. The text does not say that he saw them coming. Okay, They just appeared. They were just there. And that's striking, isn't it? And in true Middle Eastern fashion, he feels it absolutely necessary to give them the greatest of hospitalities over the top. He does it in such a way that you just have an inkling, don't you, that there was an inkling within his heart that these were not ordinary men. Matthew Henry said that God is a guest worth entreating. Amen to that. And if we covet God's friendship we should do everything we can to be hospitable toward Him so that He is made to feel welcome in our homes, in our lives, in our workplaces and and we learn, I want to leave you four things about friendship and hospitality that we can learn from this passage and the life of Abraham. In, in the first thing is eagerness in verses 3 to 5. Eagerness. He said, If I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant, very well, they answered, do as you say. You're struck by this, this eagerness. He ran from the tent door to meet these men and pleaded with them to stay. When they agreed, he hurried into the tent and told Sarah, Quickly, make some bread. This is so realistic. And Sarah would have said, you didn't tell me we're going to have visitors. I mean, Abraham is like most husbands. You know, you don't check with a wife. You just bring people in. What? Check with the wife first. No, Abraham didn't do that. Then he ran to the herd, selected a calf, and gave it to the servant, who hurried to prepare it. We're talking about a man who is a 100 years old. You know? You know, like the Cliff Young Shuffle all the way to Melbourne. You know, it's, it's in the heat of the day. It was hot. All this, and this just, you, you can't miss it. It's all this hurried activity. He moves from here. It's like a, like, like a ping pong ball. He's going everywhere. He's going, oh, I've got to do something. We have to do something. He didn't walk. He ran to get everything ready. He desired. He was eager for fellowship. Abraham responds, I think, with a great line from, it's one of the great lines from Scripture. Do not pass your servant by. Isn't that a great expression? Do not pass your servant by. I think this is the, exactly the way that we are to respond if Jesus comes knocking and asks to be invited. We ought to be receptive, responsive, eager for fellowship, welcoming. An old friend that we just want to meet. God is sovereign and He does visit His people. Revelation three twenty He wrote to a church Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It is not primarily I know it's been used in evangelism that verse but primarily it is about fellowship. I stand at the door and knock. Do you have the same eagerness to have fellowship with the, living, with the living Lord? If he knocks on the door, quick, hide everything. Or perhaps the initial enthusiasm that you've had has worn down a little bit over the years and just spending this time with the Lord in prayer in, in meditating on his word with his people. It's just getting a little bit wearisome. It should actually be out of the lights. Lord, I'm ready, I'm eager, I'm here. I'm expectant. Another thing about Abraham's eager hospitality is that he he doesn't seem to be give any consideration of what's in it for himself. I mean so often we think of having a devotional time from the angle of, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? And and it's like and it's even some of the questions that that we ask in our Bible studies, I think we, we need to rethink a little bit. What did you get out of this passage? And it's almost like we, it becomes man-centred again. Like, what is it for me? But we fail to consider that we, we actually, first and foremost, doing it for the Lord's sake. Acts 13.2, it, it says that we read of Paul and Barnabas and some of the other men that were ministering to the Lord. They were ministering to the Lord. How does that work? We're not, this is not Old Testament language, okay? This is in the New Testament. They were spending time with God. They were ministering to the Lord. Now, it's not that the Lord is, is lacking in anything. There's no, he's not lacking in any perfections as God. He has everything already. He's complete. He doesn't need our ministry to Him in that sense. And yet, and yet... There's a desire from God to spend time with us. Have you thought about that? Remember what Jesus said to his disciples at the Passover. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The eagerness of Jesus himself to spend time with his boys. I just want to challenge you that if you have lost this eagerness of meeting with the Lord in whatever context, it's not just for you. And remember that Jesus' words, Jesus is coming many different ways. Whatever you've done for the least of these, remember? That's the context as well. He wants fellowship with you because he loves you. As a father, as a son, a daughter, as a friend. And friends need to spend time with each other. Secondly, another aspect of this friendship is the cost, verses 6 to 8. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three pre of the finest flour, knead it and bake it some bread. Then he ran to the herd and said, look at the choice, tend the calf, give it to the servant, hurry prepare it. It just goes on, doesn't it? He then, it's like everybody, doesn't give up. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he he stood near them under a tree. I'm struck by the, not just the eagerness, but the effort, the cost. the Sacrifice even that Abraham put into his hospitality. Especially if you had a bad back or sore hip, arthritis, and all this type of stuff. Oh, that's the point. No, no, no just keep going, you know? He modestly says that he will bring his guest a piece of bread in verse 5. And then he takes enough flour to Sarah. Do you know how many kilos? 16 kilos for three guys of bread, 16 kilos, there is a calf. That is a lot of meat. Almost as much as, as you would expect in a South American gathering for a couple of people. I No, we need more food. And the Middle East and the Mediterranean, they just pile it on. One after the other after the other, it's not enough. Kurds. That's not a nationality, by the way. It's yogurt with the sea and milk. He spared no expense to entertain his heavenly visitors. Hospitality is actually costly. And I think money is probably the least of your worries. It's effort, it's time, it's actually humility that it's not about the best of everything in in, in your house, the chandeliers. What will our visitors think if they see, you know, this quaint old furniture and all this type of stuff? It's not about that. It's about spending the time, the effort, the humbling yourself. As, As you get into God's word, He might put his finger on your finances and time. Honour me by being more careful about how you spend your money, he might say. Or how you manage your time. Honour me by little less of you. Just humble yourself, okay? It's not about you, it's about me. So ease up, okay? He's up on the unforgiveness, on the conflict and everything else. Abraham had, from remember when he went to war, he had 318 men in his household who were his servants, chapter 14. But here he doesn't get his servants to do the work. He could have, boy, they would have put something together so quick. He used one of them to kill the calf and all of that. But here he, he, he becomes personally involved. So much so, so much so, and you you, gotta, you can see it here, that Abraham was willing to make himself available to these men as he, he, he basically watched them eat and he's there like the, like the busboy, you know, just standing there like in the restaurant, like the, you know, just... Whatever you want, it's everything okay, it's fine, it's fine, can I get you anything else? He was basically a hundred year old guy, acting like a busboy. The proud and the powerful do not do this, they do not do this. The pride will not let them, but the pure and humble in heart think nothing of it. Think nothing of it. This is what I love about Abraham. He wasn't full of himself. And throughout this encounter, the Lord treated Abraham as, as his friend. He shared this intimate occasion, a common meal. What a privilege, what a privilege for Abraham. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus had this episode in mind and he wouldn't, Surprise me if he did when he spoke on the Sermon on the Mount 2,000 years later. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Thirdly, trust verses 9 to 15. Trust which is very important in friendship. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. There's the promise. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? we we'll get to see a little bit more of a glimpse of the woman, Sarah, the matriarch. A great deal of stress is, is laid in these verses and previous verses about the fact that they are, Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90. Yes, even given the fact that those years, the years were stretched a little bit more than, than ours today, she is the reason they mention here is because she is well past the time of childbearing paul doesn't pull any punches when he talks about this in romans chapter 4 verse 19 without weakening in his faith he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead <laughs> i'm not dead yet mate look at you look at you you're dead good as gold bro nah you're dead mate you're dead and your wife is not looking too good either look that's what Paul says and since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead that's not very nice dead there's only one who can bring the dead to life In the Middle Eastern culture, women don't actually join the conversation of men. I know that I don't talk about this in the Human Rights Commission, but anyway, let's just say it how it is. This will drive Julian Triggs absolutely nuts. But anyway, the women don't join the conversation of men, but are never too far away either. They might be in a separate room, but they're just listening in. So, what is happening? Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? How do they know her name? Hmm. And then the Lord said that he will return, same time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was overhearing all of this. I'm sure that after his experience in the previous chapter, the first thing, after God appeared to him and, and gave him the, you know, the covenant, the promise, and reconfirmed the stars, the sand, and all of that stuff, he would have—he must have told his wife, Sarah, "You, you are to be the the mother of the seed, not Hagar. Forget about everything that's happened. It's you, darling." And her reply must have been something along the lines of, "Don't be an idiot." Perhaps between the last chapter and this chapter, not enough time has passed for Uncle Abe to convince Auntie Sarah that indeed this was going to happen, and she was still, you know, shaking her head. Oh, gee, I'm married to an idiot. Anyway, she's still doubtful. Her faith is lacking. And humanly speaking, you can understand it. Yes. Totally, from a human point of view, you and I can understand it. She has heard it all before, years before. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. God's promise, decades ago, nothing happened. And what was improbable then is impossible now. Dead. Now, waiting is... It's hard for the menial things in life, isn't it? Waiting. Grocery lines and traffic. The doctor's office, you've made an appointment, you've still got to wait. Twiddle our thumbs, yawn, and fret inwardly in frustration. But there is another level of waiting which just, yeah, it takes to the next level, really. There are other things that we wait for that just... take a long time. You wait for that letter to come. It doesn't arrive. You wait for that prodigal son or daughter to come back and they're still not coming back. You perhaps as a, as a couple have been waiting for a child to be born, for the wife to fall pregnant after all these years, and still nothing is happening, you wait for your heart's desire. And God prepares us, prepares His people through time and waiting. We want everything to change and right away, please, Lord. And yet the Lord has all the time in the world and he says, yes, change will happen but change has to start with you. You have to change. God waits so long because he's in it for his glory, not ours. His name will be magnified and glorified, not ours. The English pastor F.B. Meyer once said, What a chapter can be written of God's delays. It is the mystery of educating human spirits to the finest temper of which they are capable. And through waiting we can develop the quieter virtues, submission, humility, patience, joyful endurance, persistence in well-doing, Virtues that that take the longest to learn, they take a lifetime to learn. So what do we do? Do we keep trusting when the Lord seems to be withholding our heart's desire? Do we still trust Him? What about Sarah? And you can understand it, like I said before, after all the waiting, she lost hope and worse than that, she became cynical. Again, a very natural reaction. And and she actually refers to the relationship with her husband in a sensual way. We read here, Shall I have pleasure? Incidentally, this is acknowledgement in the Bible that intimacy between two married people is properly a pleasurable thing and a gift from God. And so she says, Shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being also old? Don't don't freak out, alright? The, the, the Bible is not as prudish as you think. At this stage in your life things will slow down a bit, as you can imagine. That doesn't and and yeah, just give it half a year right. And more than that, she seems to be even cynical about her own relationship with God and you know, the whole trust thing. She seems to be just a bit like like the light I suppose, just carried her husband's spirituality. Carried along. She'll come around but that's the Lord's work again. And at this stage in her life she doesn't appear to have any great interest in the covenant it's tremendous spiritual ramifications she's still more focused on the physical and even the sensual side of things just laughing and brushing it off yes we can even say that she's displaying a rather shallow understanding of spiritual things it can happen The good news is that even when we doubt his word and laugh at his promises, God remains faithful. And, and 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 part of the 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 issue with having God as a friend, of having such intimacy with God, is that if you have God in your house right there, and, and, and if you're struggling with intimacy with God, is that even when, when, when Sarah displayed her cynicism by, by laughing and then denying the fact that she laughed, because it could have been something physical, it could have been something internally, something like, hmm, you know, like, you know, you laughed. No, I didn't. You did laugh. Because what God will do is he will put his finger on your, on your pride and you cannot deny There's nowhere to run. So, therefore... Okay then, he knows what I'm thinking. Wow, this is freaking me out. I didn't think that. No, no, no. He's reading my mind. No. You know, all your thoughts, all your words, all your intentions are like a a video display on on God's screen. And you're like, oh, it's out there. He knows all about me. That's right. Do you still want friendship with God? Despite all of that, God remains faithful. He still loves us, despite all of that. We might think, you know, God's saying, you know, I gave you this promise twice now, and twice you laughed at it. That's it. No more promises. I'll take it to somebody else who might actually appreciate it now. That's how Paul Moserchew would react. Instead, God responds by dealing with her unbelief, by not taking away the promise, but by a gentle rebuke. He abundantly blesses her anyway. Someone has said, God never leaves us in his debt that is he always gives us more and more and more and more that we could ever ask or wish for and lastly an aspect of friendship is wonder verse 14 we go back to verse 14 it's one of the great questions of scripture isn't it is anything too hard for the Lord rhetorical question one of the great statements of scripture just reminding this elderly couple of his natural supernatural power and a challenge and a gentle rebuke to their weak faith now the word translated where do i get wonder wonderful from Uh, the word translated too hard or difficult can also be translated wonderful It is used for the name of the Messiah in in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. His name shall be called Wonderful. So what he said was, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? That is, is there anything that provokes too much wonder for the Lord? All his actions are wonder-provoking and there is nothing that is too wonderful for him. A naturalist like Attenborough or another has the TV shows and they just show us the, the wonder of, of, of nature and, and, and these animals, how they do this and they do that. And he comes strictly from the totally natural area and says, Oh, evolution this and evolution that. And, and we, as, as, as children of faith, look at it and say, Oh, my goodness. Thank you, David, for pointing that out. This is another reason to praise the Lord. Yes, yeah, let's look at these penguins as they struggle back to their partners. They find them. Those millions of penguins, they find the very one, the male that is sitting on the egg. Marvellous. Absolutely marvellous. I say, oh, who did that? God did. Is there anything that provokes too much wonder for the Lord? One of the great sayings of the Bible. It is confirmed by the angel's message to to Mary. For nothing is impossible with God, right? And Jesus' word to his disciples regarding the the, the miracle of salvation when this guy's got so much money, how on earth is he ever going to have faith? And he says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible the greatest miracle I think and we know is the miracle of salvation that is the greatest miracle so what problems are you facing in life for nothing is impossible for God nothing so where we have come from in conclusion we have looked at some of the privilege and costs associated with and the challenges of being friends with God. Do you want Him to interfere with your life? Do you want to change? Do you want to walk with Him this side of, of heaven in intimate fellowship and, and, and a walk like Enoch that will just continue right into eternity? And and you have to make a choice. Do you want to be friends with God or do you want to be friends with the world? You can't have both. In fact, James says it like this. He says, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And you have to decide that. Who do you care more about? Your friend God, the creator of the universe, or do you care more about that person at work who doesn't have a very high opinion. You're trying to impress your boss or your schoolmate or your uni friend. Do you care more about the world than you do about God? James doesn't pull any punches. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God and we don't want that. What about Jesus' words? You are my friends if you do what I command. John fifteen fourteen. So if God is your friend, He has to run the show. He has to run the place. And you are at His beck and call. There is no other way. Are you willing to mean the words that you sing Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way.